0: So welcome to another episode of The Shredder Show. Uh, today, we've got a re- repeat offender due to popular demand. So uh, we have got the man, the myth the legend, Dan Lawrence, back from Perform 365, and who is one of the world's number one trainers in terms of training professional athletes, works with professional footballers. And if you listen to the previous episode, we spoke about um, how he basically helps world-class athletes become the best in the world of what they do. Today, we're going to talk about more how you can take that approach from with working with world-class ath- athletes to then uh guys who are working in like corporate jobs, how you can crush it in the boardroom and then crush it in overall life. So um thank you very much for your uh, time Dan and I appreciate you coming back on to give lots of value to the listeners. Thanks
1: for having me, Charlie. Round two, let's go.
0: So firstly, um high performance is worthy it's thrown around a a lot. Uh what does high performance mean to you, Dan?
1: For me, Charlie, it's holding yourself accountable to the highest of standards when no one is watching. So I think we can all do it. We see the world of social media these days, where everyone's posting about their workouts or what they're doing well, which is fine. Absolutely, we all need to champion that. But do you do the work when no one's there? Do you do it, you know, at home if it's running your business? Do you do those hard yards in a dark room trying to move the needle for your business? Do you get up today, like I've done, and we just spoken off air there because of this podcast? I didn't have the time to go to the gym. And I actually put this on my social media and I I did an option A and an option B. Which one are you? Option A is do I say, well, I'm I'm jumping on a podcast. I don't really have time to train today. So I'm just going to say I'm not going to train. Or do you just find a way? And for me, I'm certainly an option two and those I coach are option two. So I think we all have a choice. We can find a way, even though it might not be the optimal strategy at that moment in time. So, uh, yeah, do the hard yards when no one's watching. For me, that's high performance. And also I'll add to that, that when you hit a hump in the road, You've got to keep moving forwards. High performance is exactly that. that We can all have this amazing plan. We might sign up with a coach. We've got our new gym gear. We're ready to attack. But then as soon as we hit a minor setback, do the wheels fall off and then we revert back to type, or do we keep moving forwards? And for me, that's what high performance is. It's never a linear path, as we know, Charlie. It's, it's one of those that there's going to be, you know, there's going to be many a hump in the road. But how we adapt and overcome and keep moving forwards, for me, that is high performance.
0: And that's all part of like the rollercoaster of life. And I think, interestingly, what um, you said there about uh, what you do when I was watching really resonated with me because this morning I dragged myself out at like quarter past five to start working because I'm getting myself back into the habit of getting up earlier to work earlier. And getting up when it was dark, I was like, this is fucking ball ache. I really don't want to do this. But like a sick part of my existence really is like, I fucking love this shit of like making me do something I don't want to do. Like when you do something you don't want to do, but you do it like you love it. It's like the best thing ever. And the same thing with like doing hard training, like when you don't want to do it, but you just fucking do it anyway. That's when you create like an unbreakable mindset. There's so many people just don't even understand how great that feels. If you know what I mean? And you can probably feel my enthusiasm for that as it comes across.
1: I can, uh, I can completely resonate with it. And and I'm the same. And it's, it's one of those for me winning habits builds momentum and For some, it might seem minuscule in terms of, okay, like it might even be the making the bed in the morning, which I know is quite subjective. I saw Mr. Hormozy shout about it, saying it's a load of BS. But for me, what that is, is a signal of intent that that then leads into other things throughout the course of the day. So I'm sure later on we'll talk about, you know, how to win the day and things like that. But it, it can be things like just getting your gym kit ready or like you just said there, just getting up early when it's dark, when you don't want to do it. Because that as a single entity to some might not seem like much. But to you, Charlie, that's, I'm getting this shit done. I don't really want to do this. But because I've got complete clarity with my goal, this is going to build momentum. This is a small win that's going to then stack, stack, stack and lead to other bigger wins. And this, for me, going a bit deep already, apologies to the listeners, is this is part of my identity. You know, if you if you didn't get up and do that workout, what would that mean you represented? And I know that's not what you're about, so...
0: Well, oh, and that's the thing. and I, I, Shame is a strong word to use, but I would be slightly ashamed of myself. And it's one of those things why I'm big into of like goal setting. Like if I say I'm going to do something, if I, I set a goal, I'll tell everyone I want, I'm going to do the X, Y, Z because respectfully, I don't want to like a dick and be like, I'm going to go and do X, Y and then not do it. So that's why it's important. I think if you have a goal, tell people about it and don't like, it's not being arrogant or brash saying you want to go and do X, Y, Z. You might want to finish a marathon. You might want to drop 20 pounds or whatever it is. But like, I'm not getting, not getting woo, I'm, I'm big into the law of attraction. Like if you put something out into the world and say, I am going to go and do this, you are telling it to yourself that I'm going to do this. And you're not giving yourself an excuse of like, Oh, I might do this. And it's, that's when it comes very much about like the language we use when you talk about yourself and the goals you actually set for yourself are very important because saying I
1: might, and I am going to are two very different words. Completely agree. I think that's why a lot of people have coaches. And that's why if you didn't have a coach, at least find an accountability partner because we know that, and this is actually backed up by research, that if you do put a goal out there into the world, or even if you write a goal down, I believe it becomes, please someone uh, pull me on this if this isn't accurate. I think you're 33% 33% more likely if a goal is written down and in your kind of visual um, outlet. So let's say you put it on the fridge, that you're more likely to achieve it. And I believe that gets even higher that like you say, Charlie, if you have someone you are accountable to, like an accountability partner, because we just don't want to let, not just yourself down, but you don't want to let other people down, because then what does that mean you represent?
0: I saying And talking about you putting goals into the world, I'm sitting here with four different colour sticky notes on my computer screen with all my own personal goals, business goals for like the month, the year. And like, I'm big into like front of face, front of mind, in terms of if you put something in front of you, it makes you like a front of mind and conscious of it all the time. And like, i don't know, say one of my goals is like best physique this year, but ever. It's like when I want to go and eat that extra protein bar when I'm hungry and I'm floating around at home, I'm like, mm, maybe that doesn't align with my goal. When I wanted my business to be more successful. And then I, I don't want to get out of bed in the morning at five 30. I'm like, mm, if I stay in bed, that's going to take me further away from what I want long-term. And it's that like short-term pain, long-term gain is super corny, but like, there's a lot of truth in that. What's inherently good for us, like, and feels good in the short term is bad for us in the long run. And what's painful now will be good for you in the long run.
1: Completely agree. And that only comes from you having clarity with your goals from the get go. And it's not just setting the outcome based goal, like having the best physique or some of the others that you mentioned there. It's what does that actually truly mean to you? What does that represent? Because we can all set a longer term goal, but unless it really resonates with you and we utilize like, the power of why, like why, what does that really mean to you? What does, that, how, does that mean others are going to perceive you in a different way? Does that mean intrinsically you're going to view yourself and value yourself in a very different way? It's like we've got to go deep in terms of the goal-setting process. Otherwise, they are just wishy-washy and lack meaning you know, for most people because if a goal is I want to lose 20 pounds for you know, maybe some people listening who are embarking on, like, let's say, a high-performance journey, a body composition journey, whatever the goals are. Well, if we take that from as face value, okay, I just want to lose 20 pounds, We haven't really pushed on those pain points. We haven't peeled the onion back and we haven't found out what truly drives that individual. And flipping it back to what we spoke about, hitting a hump in the road, as soon as you hit a hump in the road, that just doesn't have true deep meaning for someone. So they're just not going to really crack on and and overcome that hump.
0: It reminds me of a conversation I had with a guy on a plane. The guy at some like baller job designing super yachts or something and he was overweight and like super stressed and had whatever problems. And he was like, I can't get myself motivated to work out. What would you say to me? And I was like, and I, I knew we had kids from the conversation. I was like, do you want to be at your daughter's wedding? And he was like, you motherfucker. And it's like, but, but that, that comes down to like, what you are saying like, he, so this guy wants to lose 20 pounds, but he doesn't know why. When you reiterate someone's like, you're going to like, how many men do you see who are 60 and 350 pounds? Not many, like, you you probably won't see your kids get married unless you fix this, and when they suddenly start to connect the dots like that, that's when people then suddenly realise like
1: oh shit I need to deal with this right now. Exactly that is the best way to make a shift. I had exactly the same thing I had, and we have currently as part of our coaching program. He um, won't mind me saying this. Omar over in Pakistan, one of our coaching team coaches him twice a week digitally, and I had performance manage him and put the strategy in place. And uh, something that we went really deep on with the goal setting, he, was, he kept giving me wishy-washy goals and it just was not good enough. Uh, and then, he, you know, he deviated away from the plan at times, work would get in the way and all of these other external factors kept creeping in. Well, fundamentally, it's because we did not go deep enough in terms of the goal setting process to find out what truly intrinsically drives him. We then spent a lot of time on that. And his son at the time, I believe, is about eight years old. And he has a gym at both houses that they have in in two parts of Pakistan. So he sees his father train. So he's starting to, okay, understand that. We even gave him a little program for his son to do some basic ladder drills, some landing mechanics, some super simple stuff, just so he could start ingraining that uh, that kind of educational piece of, of fitness and exercise into him, even at such a young age. So then it was like, okay, well, evidently he cares massively about his family and his son. And he also then said, Dan, do you know what it is? I want to be able to, when my son is 16 years old, come into the gym with him, and I want to be that father who's doing a bench press with his son. And I said, okay, Omar, brilliant. We've now got there. We peeled the onion back to a level that I need. So now let me ask this question. Do you feel like your current daily actions are either aligned or misaligned with that goal? If we continue to do what you do on a day-to-day basis for the next, let's say he's eight now, so eight years, is that going to mean that you're going to bench pressing with your son and in the gym with your son training? No, Dan, it's not. It's really not. Okay, well, now we've really cracked something, so then you push a little bit deeper onto those pain points. So exactly the same, Charlie. We uh, you know, we, we have to get that out of people if we're truly going to make some positive change over time. 100%.
0: Now, obviously, Dan, you've coached some like the best athletes on the planet. Um, tell me more about maybe some of your specific methods you use with them and maybe how they can relate to more of the – the normal people, people looking to get in great shape.
1: Yeah, no, thanks, Charlie. For me to give your listeners some some takeaways, I'm going to keep this pretty simplistic. And our system is quite simple. We work off four pillars. So we call them the four pillars of the form three hundred and sixty-five. And those pillars are training, nutrition, recovery, and our fourth pillar being mindset, which is the glue that holds the other three pillars together. I think in fitness and with the power of social media, there's a lot of noise out there at the moment. You know, it, it's uh, it's all about how you can do something in such a short time frame without really setting a strategy in place. And everything that I represent, which are the methods that I take from Elite Sport, is long-term change. How do we make long-term sustainable change? So if we look at training, and that merges with nutrition, hand in glove, and then we look at recovery, because fundamentally the three-pronged approach of stressor, apply a training stress, recover, Okay, we need to recover. And then the third part of that is adaptation. Do we improve? If we're missing the central part, recovery, we're not getting optimal sleep, we're not maybe having the right supplements, we're not fueling properly, then we're not going to elicit the adaptations. But we've already done the hard work in the gym, so we're actually leaving something on the table. So stressor, recovery, adaptation. And our four pillars of training nutrition recovery and then mindset and we kind of just touched on mindset really you know we can do that one awesome workout but can we do it consistently over time do we have that bulletproof mindset that just keeps us moving forward so there's our four pillars which have take, been taken from elite sport but then we can bring those to like you say the everyday athlete the business individual the person who wants to look great on the holiday we then look at a broad overview of okay yes we need to set the outcome based goal what are we looking to achieve And I'm sure, again, we'll go deeper into the goal shortly. But once we have that, we reverse engineer the process from a training point of view and put different phases or blocks of training in place. We start pretty much everyone dependent on their training, pretty much everyone we work with, with what we call GPP phase. GPP simply stands for general physical preparation or preparedness. And it is just a foundation builder. We know that we don't just want someone to come into the gym, even though we know they've got a little bit of a training history or training age and just say, right, go and do a 200-kilo squat, go and do a 220-kilo deadlift, it it would be foolish. I think we know that. So we have to see how someone moves. Are they competent through the basic movement patterns? And in terms of the basic movement patterns, we look at, Charlie, we look at push, so a pushing pattern. We look at pull, a pulling pattern. We look at a knee-dominant pattern, something like a split squat or a lunge. We look at a hinging pattern, so something like a deadlift or an IDL. Then we look at the trunk. You know, How do we look at the core in terms of bracing Um, do we bleed energy every time we move we don't just do a load of ab crunches Uh, we look at building a robust midline to prevent injury but improve performance and uh, then we look at like energy systems we then also look at planes of motion without losing your listeners too much we look at vertical press so like a shoulder press something vertically up overhead we then look at like a horizontal press something like a bench press or a push-up and we do the same for pull so a vertical pull might be a pull up And a horizontal pull might be something like an inverted row or bent over row. So we then, you know, we go quite deep in terms of that. But once we have that framework, we can literally plug and play specific exercises that are going to fit the mould of those movements and then drive the adaptation we're looking for. So that's phase one, build the foundations because that's really important for what we're then going to go into in phase two, three and so on. Phase two, again, depending on their goals, but just to give a, a broad overview, it would be something like a strength and hypertrophy phase. So we look at Increasing strength and then in, improving hypertrophy. So for your listeners, again, to give some context, hyper context hypertrophy three main mechanisms: mechanical tension, muscle damage, and metabolic stress. We know mechanical tension is like your good old fashioned strength work: five times five, so five sets, five reps, go heavy, yet yeah, low low volume, um, high load, and that will improve, uh, raise up a limit, of force production, recruit high threshold motor units, all that fun stuff. Number two is mechanical. Uh, so was, sorry, mechanical tension, muscle damage. So muscle damage would be like slow controlled eccentric, creating eccentric stress, creating tissue change and muscle damage. Careful with this one. This is the one that can promote quite a bit of soreness, but we also see some great changes there. And the third mechanism of hypertrophy is metabolic stress. And that, to put it simply, is the good old-fashioned pump. We look at uh, more kind of moderate to high rep schemes on that, um, and that's that kind of cellular swelling. Uh, creating metabolic stress and byproducts in the tissue. So, there's the mechanisms for hypertrophy, and they kind of work hand in glove together the to strength and hypertrophy, because one of the mechanisms of hypertrophy, mechanical tension, actually drives strength based adaptations anyway. So, we look at that, we look at getting someone strong, you know, improving their physique in that phase. And then, if they've got more of an athlete centered goal, we then might go down to the strength and power phase. And then we look at dosing more explosive work, we look at what we call the force velocity curve. Uh, so high force movements like strength exercises and then higher velocity exercises that uh, would obviously mean the load is substantially lower. We know there's an inverse relationship between load and velocity. The heavier it gets, the slower it tends to it tends to get. Um, and then we can look at other phases later down the line, but that's a broad overview of not just our pillars of performance that are range true for anyone, elite level athlete or high performing business exec, but also how we view movements. So like push, pull, hinge, as I mentioned, and then the phases of training that we tend to go through. So yeah, there's, there's always a plan.
0: Do you have specific uh, mechanisms of hypertrophy you prefer more than others? And do you focus on the same mechanisms for every body part? Or do you vary that up? So say, for example, a lot of guys might be looking to build their arms and shoulders. Would you use look to different mechanisms of hypertrophy for that? Just curious. Yeah, really, really good point. Um,
1: is it Brad? Brad Schofield. He's Brad Schofield. Some... Yeah,
0: he's also been on the podcast. So you want to listen to this episode, guys, you can head back. It's probably about like eight ago. oh, oh yeah. wow.
1: Oh wow, you're scraping the barrel now if you've that Brad on. Blimey, getting me on. But anyway, yeah, look, he's the guy for hypertrophy. So he's yeah, much more knowledgeable in that in that era. But to answer your question, yes, because of muscle fiber type. I don't want to bore your listeners too much and go down the rabbit hole. But like shoulders, we look at more probably metabolic stress. We look at higher rep schemes uh, just because of the makeup of the uh, of the fibers. But yeah, I think generally speaking, probably for your listeners, dose yourself a bit of strength, go through some eccentric work, and then on certain muscle groups like shoulders, probably look at higher rep schemes on lower load, and then you're not going to be too far off. And of course, there's there's massive—you're never just working one. There's massive synergy between all of them. Um, so yeah, ho- hopefully that answers the question.
0: Yeah, sort of like why I was talking sort of you up for, but in my opinion, like the best form of training. From an aesthetic standpoint, it's a blend of all, all of them. So I always like people to start with more of a strength-based beginning with something more compound-based, and then then more into more hypertrophy and then more metabolic stuff towards the end where people are probably more fatigued with maybe more of a isolation exercise, for example.
1: On that, Charlie, as well, exactly that. And that's brilliant because it's not just aesthetics. We do that for performance optimization as well because it just makes sense. We do our movement preparation. Something I should also say, you asked about kind of our system is – We really hammer and we've spoken as well because I know you're incorporating this into your own routine is you're going down the boxing route as well for your your cardio and crushing it is the mobility work that we do at the start of our sessions for any one of our elite athletes or everyday athletes. So we do a two phased approach in terms of mobility. Part one is floor based work just to target the thoracic spine because a lot, you know, a lot of people we work with are either desk based workers hunched over a laptop or boxers where everything's in front of them. So getting nice and mobile through the thoracic spine is really important to counteract their daily postures. We then also look at the hip complex as well. We look at, you know, the adductor and, and hips because they tend to become pretty tight. Again, for people who sit down all day, but also for our boxers, if they're throwing their backhand, we want optimal uh, rotation and extension through the hip. And if they're clogged down through the anterior hip complex, they're probably not going to reach that. So they're leaving something on the table, which could then negative impact overall power outputs, which we know... For any elite level athlete is pretty damn important and then phase two is our movement preparation we utilize uh, the principle from ian jeffrey's research of 2007 paper the ramp warm-up raise activate mobilize and potentiate raise the heart rate, activate muscles, mobilize around key joints and potentiate or prime the central nervous system to get you ready. And then exactly as you said there, that's that's how we train. We then start with our strength-based work because the neuromuscular system is fresh. It should have been excited from the warm-up, and it's not under fatigue. So you get your good quality work done there. And we know anyway, that's one of the mechanisms for hypertrophy. So even for aesthetics, we're still driving that. Then we move into more of a kind of our our eccentric stress. If you like, we go with slightly higher rep ranges, still heavy load, um, but then go with more kind of eccentric muscle damage as our focus. And then, you know, once CNS is pretty fried, we then look at dosing you with high metabolic stress towards the end. And that's where we can move Charlie from more, compound orientated global movements that involve multiple muscle muscle groups over multiple joint angles and we look at more of an isolated approach of a single muscle group over a single joint angle which again the cns if it's fried, we don't really need that we can just really focus on you know we can sit there and do a bicycle let's you know how it is (laughs) um
0: good question for you in regards to setting high standards within your own training do you have anything you recommend for people, maybe like intermediate gym goers in terms of like what they can focus on to try and improve their workouts? Because like people may well want to say maybe raise the standards themselves. and People might be sitting there listening to this right now thinking like, I want to be better at what I do. What should those people focus on, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah. Um, so standards... In terms of standards that we asking here, are we saying... Yeah, like
0: standards how, in terms of how they train, like what should they be looking to really pay attention on that you think are like the the real key points to focus on to make sure they get the most bang from their buck from their training to get the best results?
1: Yeah, again, it depends one on the goal and two on the time constraints involved with that individual. So let's just say if we paint the picture further, if we say, okay, this individual's only got three sessions a week and their goals are, you know, body composition oriented, they want to, the usual stuff you know, lose a bit of fat, build a bit of tissue. Again, of course we go deeper than that, but let's just use that example. They've got three sessions a week. So we probably utilize something like a PHA protocol. PHA is peripheral high action training, where we do an upper body exercise, a lower body exercise, an upper body exercise, a lower body exercise, and then maybe like a 10 calorie blast on the assault bike. Because of that, we're getting this vascular shunting effect. It's more metabolically costly. Um, You're going to expend more energy and you're also hitting those fundamental movement patterns that we spoke about earlier, push, pull, hinge, knee dominant. It also means that you're not going to be too sore or fatigued because it's not like you're doing three lower body exercises back to back. If you're going through more of a hypertrophy training block, it means you're going to be fresh for, you know, 48 hours later. If you train Monday, Wednesday, Friday, let's say they're your three days, you can then attack. Um, you know, a similar type of muscle group again and and work the body as one total unit. I'd also say the intensity of those sessions should be quite high. So how this may look for your listeners, Charlie, would be the movement preparation we spoke about. It might only be eight minutes, phase one, phase two, floor-based work, get doing your movement prep. I don't know if we can attach videos to this, but happy to share a video on what this actually looks like. Um, And then we maybe do a little bit of power work just to prime and potentiate the central nervous system. And then we're into the main component. We're ready to rock. It might be again, volume is very individual dependent, but for a beginner, it might be three sets. For someone a little bit more intermediate, it might be four sets. It might look like A1 through to A5. So A1, A2, A3, A4, A5, which simply means because the letter is the same, you go from one exercise to the next with minimal recovery. You'd have all this set up as well in the gym. You might piss a few of the members off because you might need a bit of equipment on this one, but you can work that out. And A1 might be. Let's actually say we start with a lower, I think I said upper earlier, but let's just say it's a squat variation. So let's just say a landmine squat or a goblet squat. That's your first exercise. You might work with the rep scheme of 10 to 12 reps. Second exercise might be a dumbbell floor press. You're laying on the floor, you've got a couple of dumbbells, elbows touch, So are a lot more shoulder friendly. Boom! you press up, you control back down, 10 to 12 reps. So you've already done knee dominant, you've already done a press. Now we're going back to the lower body. You might do a deadlift variation. You might do a track bar deadlift or whatever. So then you hinge over, you drive through, you squeeze, you set that up. You go again, maybe eight to 10, 10 to 12 reps. You then go A4. A4, the one we're missing is a pulling movement. So we've done knee dominant. We've done press. We've done hinge. We've done, well, we're now going to go pull. So let's just say a, a dumbbell bent over row. Okay. Make sure that spine's neutral, straight line from head to backside big squeeze, and then come back down. And then you've set all this up right next to the bastard that is the assault bike. And it's called the assault bike for a reason because it literally beats you up. And then you go and smash 10 calories on there. And then you set your timer and you do a minute 30 rest. Or if you have a heart rate monitor, you wait for your heart rate to come down to 130 BPM. Boom. Then you're ready to go again. So that's probably what I do. It might be, if you've got time, you go and hit some guns at the end. If you, you know, you want to have a bit of fun with it. Bicep, tricep, superset. Uh, but yeah, that's probably how I'd structure it. And then those key lifts, Charlie would change on each of the three days that they have available. And if they can then get 10,000 steps in a day alongside that as monitoring their nutrition and recovery, going back to the perform three, six, five pillars, there's your training. You then optimize recovery. You then have fuel properly. And then you have the mindset to keep yourself going for four weeks, six weeks. And then the magic happens. The body starts changing. The mind starts changing. You're moving better. You're getting compliments and now you've got momentum. What
0: I'm uh, nutrition, you, you touched on there, is one of the, the key components. Is there anything you do particularly different with the the people you work with, or do you have any preferences in terms like a lot of people? Obviously, the biggest issue that I see most people have is adherence, and then not understanding like the fundamentals of how energy balance works. Is there anything you recommend with people in terms of, say, for like the non-professional athlete standard, that they can do that might make life easier for them, if that makes sense, or more practical?
1: yeah definitely we don't want to follow a completely rigid approach i think that's key you know even with the elite level athletes obviously there has to be an element of rigidity for them because it has to be structured because my elite guys they don't fight unless they make a weight so we have to have this hand in glove effect of training and nutrition we look at high days and low days so if it's a high day from a training load point of view like a high stress day they have to be fueled for that that might be like a sparring day for example but then on other days, it might be a technical boxing session, some low intensity cardio, then that would be a lower day. So we can pull back on, uh, on the uh, intake of, of calories. We can pull back a little bit on the carbohydrates on that day and then kind of map it out that, that way. So that's for the elite people. But going back to kind of your, your normal everyday athlete, I think making that having a plan for sure you know, giving them some basic guidelines around caloric intake and macronutrient breakdown. I think that's paramount, you know, for them to really understand what's going on and to really understand the key variable and whether they are going to get results or not, which like you say, is is energy balance. It's what's going in and what's going out. You know, am I intaking too much that I'm not aligned with my goal or am I not exercising enough that I'm not expending enough energy? Fundamentally, that's the principle, right? I think we need to educate people on that, but it I don't want to say it's that simple, but they need to grasp that first before we can then obviously go a little bit more in depth. So knowing that, but then also saying that if you want to go out with your friends, you want to, if you've got a business meeting at Novikov, Nobu, wherever it may be, let me know in advance and we can together choose what's right on that menu. And ideally it would be that the client then, you know, becomes that they can do that themselves over time. We educate them enough that they can go there and make the right choice. They have some. I don't know, some steaks, some sweet potato and some veggies, you know, that means still means they're going out, they're enjoying themselves, they're doing their business dinner, but they're still aligned with the goal. So I think educating them in that regard. And that's where I say the the lack of rigidity to the pr- approach is really important. Because I think at times with normal people, if we set a plan, and then they deviate away from the plan, they didn't make us aware that they're going out and doing that. And then they go and have I don't know, the steak, the chips, the mac and cheese, and all the other fun stuff at STK or wherever it is. I know we've all had the mac and cheese there. And um, then it's, what's their take on that? They then think, well, the wheels have fallen off now. So that one bad move, bad, you know, that's, again, subjective. It might be part of the plan that we wanted them to get that from a psychological point of view. But anyway... That one move that may have been misaligned with the plan, then leads into another, then leads into another. We spoke earlier about winning Bill's momentum and stacking those wins. Well, also, if you haven't educated your client properly to say that if that happens, don't worry, we can still, still move forwards. And I know you're a big advocate for this as well, actually, with, with what you put out there, Charlie, as am I, is that... Um, yeah, we don't have to be super rigid in our approach. Would probably the biggest takeaway, but obviously clients have to understand energy balance. I think forward planning in some way is important as well, like not just being reactive to your day, like having some idea of, okay, if I'm looking, if my I know what I've got from my meetings point of view tomorrow, I know I'm training at this time. Well, I know I'm going to have three main meals, let's just say, and I might have the opportunity to get two snacks in. And I know that the plan is that, they set me up on 2,200 calories, let's just say. Well, I kind of know then that that's 500 to 600 calories for each of those three meals. So that's like 1,500 or 1,800 calories max. Let's say 1,500 to keep my maths a little bit easier. So there's 1,500 to 2,200. We now know we've got 700 calories to play with. What that might look like is a double scoop of protein shake. All right, well, there's 250. And now we've got four 450 calories left to play with well before bed i know i've got a real sweet tooth so i'm going to have 250 grams of total zero percent yogurt i'm going to chuck another half a scoop of protein in big protein hit before bed and then i'm going to get a handful of blueberries and i might even get two squares of lint dark chocolate full of antioxidants i'm going to grate it on top and i've satisfied my sweet tooth craving yet i've stayed within my calories and that's not that taxing or hard or labor intensive for some but it does come with a bit of education on the front end from us as coaches. So um yeah, ho- hopefully that that gives the listeners something to say, actually, okay, maybe I was massively overcomplicating this whole nutrition thing.
0: Yeah, I think the other thing that a lot of people often overlook, for example, I've got pretty big gluten intolerance, but I also also have a, a massive addiction to bread, so which I have had to learn to wean myself off. So for example, if I eat bread, my stomach gets super inflamed. I can't lose body fat because your body's not going to lose body weight if you're getting super inflamed all the time from eating stuff that irritates your digestive system so i think another key component that everyone should listen to is like actually listen to your body and if, you, if something's causing you digestive issues or makes
1: you feel a bit shit probably don't eat it exactly that yeah exactly that listen to your body and that comes not just from nutrition that comes in training as well and in life in general is we all know when something's up, whether you know we've got gut health issues or, or we're just feeling very tired and lethargic. So um, I think it's important that we take those signs. If it becomes chronic and it you know it happens over time, acutely fine. But if it does build up, then maybe something's not right. We, as part of a high performance coaching program we're launching, we do blood work at the start as well, so we can kind of look at stuff like that. We do intolerance testing as well, so um, we can see you know whether someone it's probably uh, better off not having certain food types that make them, you know, inflamed and and increase inflammatory markers.
0: 100%. Now, something I think is a really important thing to talk about. I know you're a very goal driven person, as are the people you work with in terms of professional athletes. What does your process look like when it comes down to setting goals, like in terms of like being specific with them, timeframes, maybe even being realistic or unrealistic. Like what was your um, general best practice for that and advice?
1: Yeah, goals, goals are big. Um, I hope we've got enough time for this, but I'll try and convince this one. We talk about goals all day. So uh, Stephen Covey's got the seven habits of, of highly effective people. And one, I think it's part two, is begin with the end in mind. And that really resonates with me because something that I've said for a number of years is the Seneca, sorry to go too philosophical here, is, um, is from Seneca, is if one does not know to which port one is sailing, no wind is favourable. And for me, that is very much. You must set an initial outcome-based goal. And uh, as I say this, I, I watched the uh, the boats move past Charlie's head in the background of this uh, this zoom. So that that yeah, that's very relevant. But anyway, I, I digress. So um, so yeah, have an outcome-based goal is is so important. But what I'd also so add to that is don't just set an outcome and then think, oh, I've cracked this, because the outcome might be, let's just say, running a marathon. Okay, I'm going to run 26.2 miles. I'm going to do London Marathon. That is the outcome. We understand that. But we've got no closer to reaching that outcome by setting it. At least we have clarity with knowing where we're going. But then we've got to reverse engineer the process again, similar to what I said about the training, and put the key steps in place in terms of how we're going to reach that. So we then also look at process and performance. So process might be, if I'm going to run a marathon, I'm going to hire a coach. I'm going to run three times a week. I'm going to buy a Garmin and I'm going to track my running times and heart rate zones. Like These are parts uh, that you, things that you can do that are going to feed into the longer term outcome based goal. And then performance wise, we might have, okay, I'm going to hit X amount of running volume miles per week. I'm going to increase my strength markers in the gym because that's going to raise up a limit of force production and improve running economy. I'm going to improve my plyometric work in the gym and in, try and increase my RSI. My reactive strength index. Well, again, why is that important? Because it's going to make me more springy, more reactive, and more economical with every single step for the 26.2 miles, the outcome-based goal that I'm going to be trying to achieve in, let's just say, 12 or 16 weeks time. So I think, yes, set the outcome, but you've got to reverse engineer the process and put key steps in place to reach that goal. It's like, for example, like a bricklayer. If someone says, okay, well, my outcome is to build a wall. But that doesn't mean that you focus on building the wall every single day. All you focus on is laying each brick at a time. Before you know it, you've reached the outcome. So the same thing applies here. Set the outcome, put the steps in place to reach the goal with process and performance related goals. I'd also say that setting some some basic daily non-negotiables to reach the outcome is important as well. Uh, To give some context, I think we spoke about this on the last podcast, but to give some of mine It would be that I map my nutrition out every day. But again, I'm not rigid, but I have an understanding around nutrition. I don't watch Netflix before 7pm because, again, that's not aligned with my goal of driving my business forwards and being a high performer. I train every day in some capacity, which, again, is aligned with my goal. I listen to Audible for 20 minutes before bed, which helps for my personal development. And it might just be like I drink four liters of water a day. So you can then kind of break the goal setting process down into different different levels. I'd also say, and it's aligned with your question, Charlie, is the SMART goals. SMART is an acronym for specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time frame. And it's been around for years. Some people say it works. Others say it doesn't. I believe it does. And I certainly believe it does for the audience that we're talking to now. So specific. So is the goal, you know, is it specific? What do I want to achieve? You've got to be really clear with that. Measurable. Okay. How are you going to measure your progress? Achievable. Is it achievable? And for example, let me give something on that. If your goal is to win the lottery, well, that's not an achievable goal because it's completely out of your control. Whereas if your goal is, let's keep it on the marathon trend to run three hours, 20 minutes marathon, you know, and you, you, let's just say you start the running block at three hours, 50, or you've done one before it's three hours, 50, then that's, that's achievable with a bit of time and proper training. Um, so that's a more realistic goal. And then, yeah, sorry, time frame. You've got to have a time frame. Otherwise, what's the point? you know, otherwise you're never really going to, If you, unless you put constraints on it from, a, okay, I've got to achieve this by a specific time, then you're just never really going to put the foot on the gas to achieve it. So I do believe smart goals are important. I also believe outcome process and performance related goals are important. Um, I also believe that you said it earlier about having like an accountability partner or a coach is so important to achieving goals. I also do believe visualization is very important to achieving goals. We're aware of the law of attraction, but I, I believe that, We've got to really visualize, okay, where we're we going with this. Okay, let's say marathon again, let's keep it on trend. How would you feel when you've done 26 miles? You've got, you know, 0.2 to go. You've got all your family there with the banners in London shouting your name. They've all got their phones out cheering you over the finishing line. How would that make you feel? Wow, that would make me feel amazing. That's exactly why I'm doing this. That, and of course, to raise money for the charity of my choice. But, um, but that for me really drives me. So, okay, keep talking about that. Keep visualizing that, seeing yourself with the running shoes on and all the new gear and doing that, egging each other, others on, you know, halfway through the marathon. How does that make you feel? Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's what I want to be part of. And I just want to visualize myself crossing that line, getting that medal. And I don't know, having a beer after with everyone else who's achieved it. That really is something that drives me. Okay. Well, that visualization is, is super important as well. So I think, yeah, to kind of go back, it's like a five-part process Part one is setting setting the goal in the first place, the outcome. Part two is kind of similar to part one. It's outcome, process, and performance-related goals. Part three would be the smart goals, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic. Part four, visualization. And part five, accountability. That loosely is our goal-setting process. We do go very deep into this though, Charlie. It's something that like we said, you you hit the nail on the head, you know, and I kind of went with my guy over in Pakistan as well, is that you, you've got to go deep into the goals because otherwise you're just never going to achieve anything.
0: Yeah, it's what what makes it important. I think uh, the other thing I was saying, like, is focusing on the process, not the prize, because people focus on the end result sometimes and then that that's not enough to get them what they want. And as you said about the brick by brick analogy by bricklayers, I liked, it's like, if you just focus on the day in front of you, you win that, you do the next day, Guess what? You get to the marathon and you can run three hours, 20 minutes because you've done everything you should have done. And like going into that, what does like winning the day mean to you? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, for me, winning the day starts the day prior. I really believe in winning the day, by the way. So, like David Brailsford, aggregation of marginal gains, he took Team Sky to get some context, took Team Sky from the Whipping Boys in elite cycling, literally wooden spoon every time to the best team around within a few years. And he had this thing called the aggregation of marginal gains, the 1%. And he'd do things like change the seat on a bike. Well, these guys doing Tour de France or one of the legs, I'm not that well versed in cycling, but hopefully this paints the picture for the listeners. Um, Then they spend quite a lot of time sitting down on that seat. So making sure that seat's comfortable for them, that will probably yield a return over time. Something as simple as that. Because they're always on the road going to these different legs or meets, pillows are quite important making sure they're comfortable with their pillows, even spraying some lavender on their pillows if it improves one of the big rocks' sleep. But all these little things that can be done as single entities, they don't really mean much. But over time, they lead to a lot more wins. So we call it, James Clare talks about in Atomic Habits, he calls it habit stacking. We know that's one of the recommended reads. But um, I call it win stacking. And winning builds momentum. And this goes back to the whole making your bed in the morning. It might as a single entity not represent much, but for me, it does represent a lot because it shows a signal of intent from the moment you wake up in the morning. So to go back and give the listeners some more context around that is I plan my day the evening prior. So it has to be, I have the strategy, you know, I know exactly what time I'm on what and, uh, and i work my training out around that as well. So plan your day the evening prior to ensure that you're proactive and not reactive to the day. I train in the morning, so I get my gym kit ready next to my bed. So it's there. It's a signal of intent. I get up, quick prison wash, get the gym kit on, get the workout done. So that's my second thing. My third is making the bed. You know, I I do that. I get the kit on, make the bed, signal of intent. I've already done three wins, by the way. So I'm stacking these wins already. Um, I'll also then have an idea around my nutrition for that day. I'll have a framework. But again, I won't follow... Too much of a rigid approach on that, but at least I know you know what, what I'm going to be having. So I'm not just chasing my tail. So for the listeners, it might be if you've got meetings in town and you haven't planned your nutrition in any way, the likelihood you do grabbing a sandwich or a chocolate bar or a bag of crisps is substantially higher because you haven't done the work on the front end. Just with a, And it might only take two minutes. With a little bit of planning, you could have stayed aligned with your goals. You could have worked out exactly where you're going to get the food from or prepared your food. And you you know you can win the day. So that's really important as well, being proactive and not reactive. And then you know, for something that's big for me as well is family time, is being present with your family time. So, for example, if you're at home, you've got young kids, you work in the office, you get back home at let's just say 6 p.m. the from 6:30 to 8:30, you put your phone away and you focus on your family because That's for me. Well, it goes back to your values. Again, it goes back to what's important to you. That's certainly important to me. So put your phone away, have some focused time with your family. And then look. you can then start sending emails at 830 at night if you so wish to do so. So that would be important as well. And then being in bed at a specific time. We talk about winning the day. Well, if you're in bed late, that's going to bleed into the next day. So you can have a strategy behind that. And as I say, it might not seem like a lot of these little things if I said to them, just do this one thing. There is no magic bullet. But if you do four or five of these things, you stack your wins, you build consistency, you build momentum, then you'd be so surprised based on the David Brelsford aggregation of marginal gains. By the way, they became like the best team in cycling over the course of those few years just by doing these simple strategies of how to win the day. Uh, that, yeah, you'd be very surprised how quickly you can reach your goals.
0: This is the compounding effect of small decisions. Even I spoke at the beginning of this podcast about me dragging my fucking ass out of bed at 5 30. And people, someone said to me the other day, like they saw, anyone's listening to this, the background behind my Zoom called Pretty Sick and Pretty Gangster. It's like Dubai Marina. I have a sick apartment in Dubai Marina, and obviously moved to Dubai recently. Three years ago, I was an estate agent in the UK. Like, how the fuck have you done this? And it's like because I made myself get out of bed at five thirty and. Like three years ago, I was getting up at fucking four thirty, five 5 o'clock, working to like 9 o'clock at night. But like, as we said at the beginning, people don't see that. People don't see what happens behind the scenes and like the fucking grind that continues. People just see the fucking, the stuff they see on social media, what, for example, I might choose to share. They don't see like people getting up at me at 4.30 o'clock, 4.30 in the morning, sitting in my pajamas fucking working, like which is the reality of what most people who do, who get to where they want to be. And the same with athletes in terms of pushing themselves – like they talk about like people like Kobe Bryant and people like that training like 4 a.m. in the morning. Like guys are nuts. And but that's what it takes if you want to be exceptionally fucking good at anything.
1: Exactly. And I think I recommended that one too. is The Raise Your Game by Alan Stein Jr. I was insane. He's so good. He, he, he's actually to he, hopefully come on to the, the, the show's podcast. I was emailing him yesterday. Ah, brilliant. Well, yes. yeah, he's, yeah, he talks talks very well. Um, did his thing with Kobe and uh, yeah, he basically says, Well won't ruin it for your listeners, but no one's above the basics. Do the basics very well and be consistent and do it with a relentless attitude and work ethic. But something that I should say and what you just said there, Charlie, is the best analogy I could give there would be the iceberg analogy is people start seeing what's above the water, but they don't see what's below. And the below is like sacrifice, late nights, early mornings, doing the work. And it goes back to the first question you gave me is what does high performance mean to me? High performance is doing the work when no one is watching. You know, high performance is being consistent and doing the work when no one is watching. And fundamentally, that's what you have to do to get anywhere in life. Be consistent, do the work when no one's watching, have a goal, have clarity with the goal and just keep moving the needle and you'll reach that goal over time.
0: A thousand percent, I couldn't agree anymore. Before we wrap things up, uh, I know we want to talk about something that I'm helping you launch towards the end of the year where you're working with uh, CEOs and business leaders. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that briefly?
1: Yeah, no, thanks, Charlie. Yeah, so... Excited to kind of move things forward on this one with, with your guidance is uh, name TBC, but all the all the stuff's going on in the background. We've got the team now and we're building something pretty special. I've worked in high performance for what, probably 11 years. I've been a coach for 60 and a half years. So I'm building something now that is true to my key principles of high performance, taking what I've learned from these elite performers in sport. I've trained over 30 champions. I've trained world champions, undisputed world champions in boxing, NFL Super Bowl winners, Premier League footballers, and and many others. And there's some high-performance traits that I can take from them and then bring them to other high performers or people who want to be high performers, people who have high-performance goals in business. There's massive synergy between the two, and uh, we're building something pretty special that's uh, going to be looking at, yeah, like blood work. It's going to be looking at sleep. It's going to be looking at our four pillars. It's going to be a bespoke program. We've got a team that's uh, going to really yeah, drive things forwards and give some, some individuals in. We are going to be quite selective but some individuals who want to be a high performer, want to use those methods to improve bottom line of their business, to, like we say, spend time with their children, improve longevity, improve health. Because what we find is these high performers in business, and I'm talking serious players that you know I've thankfully got access to in my network, who've got global businesses and, and brands, that they would have put all their energy most likely into the growth and development of their business. And it goes back to like the Tony Robbins analogy of, of the buckets. If you put all of your let's just say all of your water in one bucket or the other buckets then aren't getting any love and that's where they get to 40 45 50 years old they've done very well in business but now they're like oh my health isn't that great i now need to really flip that and and merge the two together and you can absolutely do both if you then put more focus into your health and longevity and life that's actually going to dovetail back into improving bottom line of your business so it's a matter of connecting the dots between the two for most people. So no, I'm really excited to, to work on it over the next few months. I've put a lot of work in over the last few, again, with your guidance. And we're going to be doing a soft launch in December, but with the actual launch on January the 9th um, with an event in London, which is, yeah, I'm just looking to build a, an incredible community of, of go-getters and high performers. And we've already agreed as part of it, we're doing a Q&A section with, uh, well, we've got some, some fascinating names on there. We've got Michelin Star Chefs. We've got... Um, owner of well i can probably say it. founder of joe and the juice casper bass a former client of mine absolute rock and roll star who near enough unicorn the company uh pre-covid we've got um trying to get eddie hearn on there so like serious players we've got connor ben one of my athletes who's so merging the athletes and and these kind of entrepreneurs and go-getters and basically asking the similar questions to what you asked me what does high performance mean to them so our ecosystem and our private network can get all of these uh, really cool insights from some pretty special people. So it's going to be quite exclusive, but um, but you no, know, I'm excited for it. Yeah, it'd be super sick.
0: for People to find out a bit more about you, Dan. Um, remind me, what's your IG for everyone to check you out?
1: Yeah, cheers, Charlie. It's uh, Perform365. Uh, so yeah, find me on there. Shoot me a message if, if you so wish.
0: Cool. And make sure you listen to the previous episode of this podcast if you haven't as well. So we go a little bit more in direct, direct depth specifically in regards to athletes. Please make sure you leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast, share with us a friend if it was helpful and insightful. And we'll see you in the next episode very soon.